0: Hi, it's Erica Kohlberg, and before we dive into today's podcast episode, I have an exciting announcement that can help you save an extra $1,000 without having to penny pinch or change your lifestyle. On Monday, I'm running my free five-day savings challenge, where you'll discover simple and creative ways that you can save extra money every month, and whatever you want to do with that extra money is up to you. I'll just show you how to save it. The challenge is totally free to join. All you need to do is go to erica.com go. Erica is with a K and you can secure your spot. By the way, these strategies that you're going to discover can help you easily save money, whether you're a budgeting novice or a finance expert, and they're going to get better and better throughout the week. But I have to tell you, I'm so excited about this and don't want you to miss out. In November of last year, we ran a savings challenge and had over 200,000 people sign up. And on average, people saved $1,005 that month through what they learned in the challenge. That means our challengers collectively saved over $200 million. So trust me when I say you don't want to miss out on this one. And the deadline to sign up to be part of this free challenge is Sunday, 1159 p.m. Eastern time. So make sure you secure your spot and get free access today. Again, that's erika.com slash go, E-R-I-K-A dot com slash go. See you inside.
1: I was born with nothing and had nothing to lose. So I didn't care going at risk and just seeing how far I could go. When you're starting a business, it's not easy. Barbara Corcoran, her business is the creme de la creme. So you take a $1,000 loan, you turn it into one of the most successful businesses. Your biggest danger is underestimating how successful you could be and what you're going to need to get there. I read the story about how
0: for Shark Tank, you were offered the role initially and then they tried to retract it.
1: If I hadn't written that email, immediately turn that thing around. But instead I had my spot on Shark Tank. Shark Tank. All my best successes happened on the heels of failure.
0: You're listening to the Erica Taught Me Podcast, the number one business podcast in the U.S., where we talk about entrepreneurship, money, and how to improve your life and achieve success. I'm your host, Erica Kohlberg. I'm a lawyer and personal finance expert with over 20 million followers on social media. Today, I'm interviewing businesswoman, investor, and Shark Tank star, Barbara Corcoran. In this episode, Barbara talks about her success and the trauma that motivated her to work hard to achieve it. Not only that, but she also tells us the one trait all successful people have and what to do to make your first million dollars. Keep listening to learn more about one of the most successful businesswomen out there and her advice for you to achieve success. I'm Erica Kohlberg, this is Erica Taught Me, and today we're here with Barbara Corcoran. You guys know that I love investing because you know that if your money is just sitting in a bank account, you're losing out to inflation every single year. That's why you invest it so that it grows for you without you having to put in any extra work. I've been using an investing app called Weeble for almost four years, and I had them do something really special for my listeners. By using my link to sign up today, you can get between 6 to 12 fractional shares for free. All you need to do is open an account and deposit any amount, even a dollar, to claim your free shares. So just by depositing a dollar, you'll get between 6 to 12 free fractional shares. And if you're wondering what to actually invest in, we talk all about investing in episode 28. So go ahead and listen to that episode. To claim your free shares through my special link, just go to ericataughtme.com invest or click the link in the show notes. And it's Erica with a K. Again, that's ericataughtme.com invest. So you've obviously found this incredible level of success. What do you think has made you so successful?
1: Well, that's the million dollar question. If I have to separate just a couple of things... I would say I was born with nothing and had nothing to lose. So I didn't care going at risk and just seeing how far I could go. I think uh, it's a great advantage to having nothing. Because your parents were not well off. Well off. They were well parents. (laughs) They did a great job. No, we had 10 kids in a two-bedroom flat. We made ends meet in however we did. But I had phenomenal parents who loved each and every one of their kids with their whole heart. And so we grew up with confidence, feeling loved. And boy, that's a major card in life, isn't it? As you play it out.
0: Yeah. What were the biggest takeaways you got from them besides that confidence that they
1: instilled? To identify the gift in anyone. My mother was a genius at that. She could look at a child, tell you right away what the gift was and make you perform it for the rest of your life. So you believed it. I think being able to spot the gift in someone and build up on it so that they believe it and that your business gets all the benefit of their growth I think is a great gift to have. And I attribute my mother exactly to that. No one else taught me that but my mom. Did you have a clear sense at an early age of what you wanted to do with your life? No. In fact, we had quite the opposite. All my mother and father asked us to be is be nice people when we grew up. And what they also asked us to do is get a job after school because we needed the help. So we all worked. So I worked since I was 11. And did that give me a clear idea of who I wanted to be? No. But what it did do for me is realize there was another world after the schoolhouse that you could get out and make a buck and stand on your feet and talk for yourself and make something happen. So it introduced me to many different worlds. By the time I started my real estate company, I had 22 jobs already, and I was only 23. But I think I learned something in every one of those jobs, if not many things. But I was like an adult when I stepped out. You know, I guess I was, but I was a lot more adult than the average kid because I had so much world experience working. And that real estate company, the first one that you started, what prompted that? Oh, just a lucky break. I was working as a diner waitress and my first boyfriend walked in and I knew one glance that I was going to lose my virginity within the week and I was right. (laughs) But he offered to give me $1,000 to start a real estate business within six months of meeting me. He said, I had a great personality. I'd probably do well in it. And I thought, why not? I've tried everything else. And from that very first day, the first door I opened to let someone in, I thought, this is for me. Then I knew, but I had no idea before that. Do you remember what your first sale felt like? My first rental. I rented a $340 apartment on East 83rd Street. And I rented it because I had convinced the owner of the building that he should build a partial wall in the L of the living room and call it a two-bedroom. And so I got him another 30 bucks a month. He loved me and gave me the listings on his entire building. <laughs> so I'll never forget that because that was the beginning of my business, my first commission check. What's more interesting is what did I do with my first commission check of $340? When I had already spent down the thousand dollars substantially, I went out and bought myself a new coat at Bergdorf Goodman's for $320, and I got fancy. Wow. I wore that coat probably for eight years walking up and down the streets of Manhattan, feeling like I was Georgie girl herself, and everybody was staring at me and envying my coat. I'm sure they were, and it was god-awful disgusting. (laughs)
0: So after that $300, did it kind of snowball from there? You continued to make money and realize you were very good at this real estate thing?
1: Not really. Uh, Life is nice when it works that way. But when you're starting a business, it's not easy. Uh, You have more setbacks than you have things that push you ahead. I was able to consistently rent apartments. And with the added money, if I had a little left over, I would consistently hire one more person. And so by the time I was in business, about three years, I already had... uh, maybe 10, 12 people working for me. That's how I use my money. It's not a smooth trail. I was always always over leveraged. Didn't know how I was going to pay my bills. But you know, there's something really cool that comes with that. What happens is you run like hell to make sure it happens. You know, you have a gun in your head. You have to keep up with yourself. So I think it's probably not the ideal formula for building a business, but it certainly works.
0: Was there a point where you ever felt stable? You felt like, okay, I've made it now. It's not going to
1: be so up and down. Well, there was a point where I feel like I made it for the moment, but I certainly wasn't thinking it was going to continue. But I had been in business a good 11 years when I made my first real profit. So I was so busy spending it building. And I made $77,000 extra. I don't know how that happened. I usually spend things long before it came in. But I went out and I bought my mother and my father a brand new car and I had my Uncle Richie <laughs> delivered to Florida where they had retired. Oh. And it wasn't, that was the only profitable year. And I waited probably about another, maybe six years before I saw another diamond profit. <laughs> but money well spent. Probably the most satisfying uh, money spent in my entire life. Uh, nothing else. I've had much more money to spend than a new car in my life now. But nothing can measure up. Nothing. Yeah. They were Proud. Proud. They thought it was a miracle because he pulled up with his buddy with the cars with a great big bow on the roof and they thought it was a mistake. It was at the wrong house. (laughs) (laughs) But they used those cars for probably 15 years, yeah. My dad wanted a new one the next year. My mother said no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know as you gain more and more money, does it become
1: less meaningful? Of course, yeah. Money is complicated. A lot of people think when you have money, you don't have money problems and you don't have the money problems that, are, that create so much duress for people who don't have enough money, like feeding your kids, paying the rent, meeting the medical bills. That's all gone when you have money. But you find a way to worry about money. When you have a lot of money, you're worried about losing it. You don't want to go all the way backwards again and make it all over again because you're older, you know you're not going to do it. So I think money complicates relationships, even with your own children. Uh, protecting them against uh, being privileged children is difficult. Making them think that there's something other in the world other than they could have what they want is uh, problematic. Your friends are imbalanced. Uh, You don't know if new friends like you for yourself or like you for what you can bring to them money-wise or opportunity-wise. You know, money is a complicated. Now, would I hand it ever back? Never. I'd much rather have too much money. But I think when you don't have money, uh, you think it's going to buy more for you in happiness than it actually does. Are you the happiest you've ever been in your life right now? No, no, not really. I'm very happy. I should, should get happier as I get older, but you know you get grumpier as you get older. It's a natural, <laughs> natural way things go, right? Because you don't look as good, so you're getting grumpy over the way you look. The times you realize in hindsight when you've been the most happy person in your life is when you're building and believing in the potential or the dream of something that might happen. The, the dream of something might happen for you that you had hoped would happen that's filled with wonderment, enthusiasm, a little bit of scariness. But what it amounts to is excitement and living life and being very happy. So no, I think the early days wind up being the happiest days in the building process of building something great.
0: If you're listening, let me guess, you have a passcode on your phone. And let me take another wild guess and say that you have a password on your computer. But why are so many of us okay just being completely unprotected online. We have no idea who has all our personal information online and whether it's the good guys or the bad guys who might be selling your information or worse. We're talking spammers, telemarketers, robocallers, people who want to know more about you and even where you live. My sister had her data leaked online, and because of that, her identity was stolen. And it was a nightmare to deal with. We had to lock down all her credit cards just for starters. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Aura, a sponsor of this episode. Aura can identify data brokers exposing your info and submit opt-out requests on your behalf. When I discovered it, I knew I had to try it out, just to see if my information had been leaked online, which they let me see instantly after I signed up. And get this, for my audience, they're offering a free 14-day trial so you can see if your personal information has been leaked online. To find out now, go to ericataughtme.com aura to claim your free 14-day trial. Erica with a K and aura is spelled A-U-R-A. Again, that's ericataughtme.com aura, and I'll also leave the link in the show notes. Looking back at your career and everything that's happened, what's something that at the time felt like a failure or disappointment that now looking back was
1: a great step in your journey? The best thing that ever happened to me in my career was my boyfriend leaving me and marrying my secretary. At the time he did that, I was 30. I couldn't believe it. I thought I was an old lady, would never have another boyfriend. Crazy how your head goes. Um, I regret that it took me a year to find the confidence to end the business. I should have chopped it up that afternoon. It was too hurtful to work with a happy couple when I wasn't part of that couple. But in hindsight, that was the best thing that happened because if not for that, I wouldn't have started the Corcoran Group. You know, I divided the company in half. He took seven people, I took seven. He went first, I went second. So it was a it was quick, lightning speed divorce. And I opened a new business that Monday on a different floor. But if he hadn't done that, uh, I would still be in partnership with him and his wife, God forbid, uh, who's a perfectly fine lady. just wasn't so fine for me at that moment.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And, uh, yeah, that was the best thing. The other thing that happened was on the way out the door that Friday, he told me, I, he said, you know, you'll never succeed without me. And what the power of an insult can do for a girl. I mean, I branded those words in my brain. And every time I wanted to give up over the next 20 years, I would think about him, weird kind of a thing, like laughing at my failure. And I would think of one more idea to try, one more last push, one more something to bring us across the finish line. And it always worked. You know, there's so much power in an insult. I don't believe that's how you motivate people. It's not my style. But it obviously was my style because it really motivated me. Have you always had that in you where you want to prove people wrong? I think I've always had a growing in me, but to actually do it, I think that was the first time that I was surprised at the beast that came out of my chest, so to speak. But I think when I was in school, because I was such a terrible student and couldn't read or write and was made fun of, you know, everybody's got their crap from childhood, one, one kind or another. That was mine. I think that was preparing me for anger to get even with the world because I was written off so early. You know, so I think if not for that, actually looking at that in a positive way, easier to look back at things positive, not when you're going through them. Looking back at school, I realized that that scarred me deep enough so that I was motivating my whole world to prove I wasn't stupid. You know, I didn't realize I really had anything going for myself till I was probably, yeah, what, 30 or so? And then Ramon Simone left with my secretary who sent me back again. But I think... I think my whole career has been one huge attempt to prove to the world I'm not stupid. I mean, what a motivation when you're running out of insecurity.
0: When did you feel like you've done what you needed to prove that? Was it getting on Shark Tank? Was it selling your company? Like, at what moment did you feel like I've proven to the world? Last uh, Friday.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I say that in a in a joking way, but I really mean it. If I'm not prepared and don't spend the time over preparing for everything I do, if I don't really think deep and hard and get over my scariness. I turned back into that eight-year-old all over again in second grade. I don't know how that happens, but I have a better tape now that I can pull on uh, other than the tapes that I heard when I was that age. And the tapes are the ones I've self-imposed on myself. You're amazing. You're incredible. You're a genius. You're so pretty. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i load it on up and that kind of erases those old tapes that makes you think you're just not going to do it you're not going to cut it you're not going to cut it and expect disaster mm. it's such an old tape but very very hard to get rid of
0: yeah was the Corker group then once you left and started that on your own was that successful right away or what was that like
1: um, it wasn't successful because I didn't have money and I had to uh, stretch, stretch. But I was used to that. No news, news on that. What was great about the Corcoran Group is my sheer determination that I was alone. No man was giving me my worth. And I don't have an issue with men. I love men. But that was removed by foundation, my support. The older guy kind of told me what I would be good at. It was gone. And when I was able to stand and realize I could stand and nobody was helping me up. That was the beginning of a great confidence boost. Yeah, more determination than ever, I think.
0: What were you looking for in your employees
1: as you were building your team up? Were there certain characteristics that you really cared about? Well, there was a work ethic that I cared about. Everybody worked their ass off. You know, that's very important. No, I, th- I think I looked at it differently. I didn't really ever go hunting for people who fit a bill. I would find great people make sure I understood what they were potentially good at, and then build a job around them. Much easier to do, much more likely to be successful because everybody's got a few talents, but they usually only have one great talent. And if you could discover that and wrap them up in that great talent, whatever it is, uh, it's like breathing in now for them. They do it naturally. And then you get a free ride on their back of their success because you've given them that opportunity and made them believe that they could do that. Practically, are you letting them try different job positions
0: within your company, or how does that work to find the one that they excel at?
1: Um, Well, I try not to stick someone with one they excel at, even if they found their forte, uh, because everyone likes change, or anyone worthy or creative likes change. You know, you do the same thing no matter how good you are, you get bored. I do that today. I try to see how expandable people is. People are. Is that the right grammar there? Yeah. <laughs> how, much, how much I could stretch them, you know? So I think the more you throw at people, the more they find out they're able to do. And then while you're watching them in the process, you, you oh, I didn't know they could do that too. And you let them almost make their own job based on their talents I, th- I think you wind up with a hugely motivated group of people and a happy family that way. It's similar to raising kids. You know, if you're going to shove them and try to put them in sports when they're talented there, but if they play baseball, let them play all they want, you know? I, I think you have to suit your job for the individual, not the other way around.
0: Mm. And you ultimately ended up building that company and selling it. Can you yes. talk about the decision of
1: selling your company? Well, my goal was to be the queen of New York real estate, and one day I woke up and I was. I envisioned it, but when it happened, I thought, I'll sell the company. I got to where I wanted to go. My dream as the queen of New York real estate was to be the largest residential brokerage firm in New York City. And one night when I was with my partner, Esther, we did the numbers and I realized I was. And I said to Esther, let's sell this place. I don't know why. It seemed so clear to me, but I had accomplished my goal. What was I going to do after that? I didn't have something else in my head. And so we sold it in three months flat. And the first offer that came in was $22 million. And I was on a chairlift, with my roofer brother, John, and he says, wow, you're going to take the money and run, Barb. That's a hell of a lot of money, he said, John. And I said, no, I'm asking for 66. He said, why 66? And I said, because it's my lucky number. <laughs> and everybody wanted to know why 66, why 66? And I kept coming back to the acquiring company, their attorneys, Why 66? Why, why'd you arrive at that? I never told him till the closing. I said, You gave me my lucky number. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> There's no rhyme or reason what businesses are worth. People like to think there are formulas, because that's my New Jersey coming out, but there aren't. There really aren't. It's, uh, it comes down to more uh, how big are your balls, what which, which you could ask, and how you could play your cards.
0: That's so interesting because I find that most people in this space who have found success, they just want more and more and more. It's very unusual for people to come to the conclusion that I've achieved what I want. It's time to sell and move on to the next
1: adventure. But that was always your plan. Honestly, it was not my plan. My plan was to be the queen of New York real estate and be the largest company. My plan was never that I would then sell my business, but it just seemed clear as a bell that night. It's the thing that was supposed to happen, I think.
0: For those big decisions, who do you trust? Who in your inner
1: circle do you go to and say, do you think this is the right move? Uh, My soul. You can have very close friends, and I'm blessed with very dear friends for so many years that I trust implicitly. But the problem with going to friends, families, even your mother, is they will always give you advice, uh, whatever the advice is best for not hurting you. It's always conservative advice. They've always got your back if they love you, and so you get the wrong advice. When I was working at the diner, my mother gave me such good advice my whole life. She was my supporter, especially with the learning differences I had. When I was at the diner and Ramon Simone offered me the $1,000 to go out and start a real estate business, my mother said it was the worst idea. She said, I hopped around jobs so often, I should really build up my resume and wait a few years. The worst advice. But you have to realize where it was coming from. She loved me. She'd want to see me hurt. And it was more secure working at the diner than going to New York City and starting a business with a stranger. <laughs> so from her viewpoint, it was good advice. From my viewpoint, it was not good. But fortunately, I didn't listen to her. I was young enough where you don't listen to your mother at that age. <laughs>
0: <laughs> One of the things I love about you is that it, you seem to have your own path, and you really don't let people stop you. I read the story about how for Shark Tank... You were offered the role initially, and then they tried to retract it.
1: After I signed the contract, no less. The nerve. (laughs) (laughs) What happened exactly? Well, they offered me the job, interviewed me, looked at my financial statements, because on Shark Tank, we buy businesses with our real money. You have to have the dough. And then uh, about a week before, I was headed out to L.A., and I had bought my new Autograph signing outfits. After all, I was going to Hollywood. <laughs> I bought a new set of real leather luggage wow. before they had wheels. So I was I was really going out. <laughs> and then they called and said they changed their mind. They had hired another woman for the position. I didn't know they could change their mind, but they reminded me they didn't they hadn't signed the contract. Little detail, you would know better about those things, right? So I was I was shocked. I had pictured as clearly as I pictured. My success as a real estate agent. I saw the picture in Living Color, me being a shark, me being in Hollywood. And I said, that can't be. I pictured it. It always comes through if I could get a picture of it. They said, well, we'll call you as a fallback. <laughs> fallback? That's like being the ugly sister. Who wants that call, right? Yeah. But I was very upset, as anybody would be, because I had counted on it. And then I did my usual thing that I do well. I stood back up. And talk back. I wrote an email to Mark asking his assistant uh, to please, before I wrote it, will she hand it to him. Because guys don't, big shots don't read their emails. That's what I find. (laughs) And so um, she promised she would hand deliver it, whatever I wrote. And I wrote him that I would consider his rejection a lucky charm. And I appreciate being considered a fallback, but I'm much more comfortable coming in first. And then I said, all my best successes happened on the heels of failure. And I cited Sister Stella Marie telling me I couldn't read. Uh, The Old Boy Network telling me I could never own a business here in their town. Uh, Donald Trump refusing to pay me a penny of the $4 million he owed me, and I beat him in federal court. I just boom, -boom, bada-boom, bada-boom, six or seven bullets. And I asked him to let me come out and compete with the other woman, let the best woman win, and that's exactly what he did. If I hadn't written that email... Uh, immediately to turn that thing around. I don't know what I'd—I'm sure I'd be doing something wonderful, of course, uh, in the last 14 years, but instead I had my spot on Shark Tank, playing Fairy Godmother and making dreams come true. What a cool job! (laughs) (laughs) And losing some money along the way. Not such a cool job.
0: I recently went on an anniversary getaway with the husband, and it was beautiful. Here's everything I got for free— we got free business class tickets for an international flight, which meant, yep, you guessed it, I got free access to the lounge where we could kick things off with a glass of champagne. Then we got a free stay at a five-star hotel where we could relax and go to the beach. Okay, so now I'm sure you're wondering how I got it for free, and you know I don't get keep, so here's the insider knowledge you need to know. I did it by signing up for a free built credit card. Built is a credit card that lets you earn points just for paying your rent, and there's no extra fee. And when I say free, I mean free. There's no annual fee for the credit card, and they don't charge a transaction fee for paying your rent with the card. You'll also earn two times the points on travel and three times the points on dining. Once you get your points, you can transfer them to travel partners like airlines and hotels to then get the free business class flights or five-star hotels like I did. To sign up for this card, go to slash built Erica is with a K, and built is B-I-L-T. Or to make it easier, go to the link in the show notes. Again, that's slash built Was it actually that you went to LA and you had to compete with this yes. other woman that they had? for so the picked? first day on set, yeah. Did it ever get revealed
1: who the other woman was? Uh, I never. Well, I will never reveal. Yes, of course I never. Was. It wasn't he, Lori, right? No, no, no. But She was a perfectly lovely woman, but I hated her anyway. <laughs> yeah, we don't like the her. The competitor, you know. <laughs> uh, but I found out that I got the job. They didn't tell me, but I saw them take the star off of the other ladies' trailer. They had the name since, just like you would see in a cheap Hollywood movie, Gold Stars with Barb. And then I saw them take her magnetic store and I went, Oh, could it be? Could it be? (laughs) Very exciting. I hope she's not listening. Oh, oh, maybe. (laughs) I could sell that name for thousands of dollars every time I say it, but I won't.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We can't skip over the what you mentioned earlier, the Donald Trump. So I saw this. You beat him in federal court.
1: Yes. I deserve to. I had done the job. I had brokered the biggest land deal in New York City, my firm. I had a commission statement, and he just said, I'm not paying you. And here's why not. You know, that's what he does well. He uh, debates in court at great expense, and most people can't afford it. With my good luck, that particular year, I had a huge profit. So I spent over a million dollars fighting him. If I didn't have that million dollars, and if I wasn't willing to spend it for the rightness of it, I would have never won. Uh, So many people in America are ripped off by indiscretion with business dealings, but they don't have the money to fight. And that way, it's not a fair situation at all. But I did fight and I did win. And it felt, felt like a million bucks. Felt like, well, it was a million bucks, it was $4 million. But it felt like the best thing that ever happened, a real victory.
0: What is it about you that you, based on principle, you want to fight these things to prove it? Because you're right. Most people, even if they do have a million dollars, they don't want to spend a million dollars on lawyers. They just want to settle it for a smaller sum out of court. Um, or take
1: pittance. Better than nothing is the theory, right? Yeah. That was a time when uh, Atlantic City was built. Atlantic City was going bankrupt. Many of his investments were going bankrupt. Actually, he was near bankruptcy when we made that deal. It really saved the bankruptcy on his company's part. He didn't have to go bankrupt. At that time, uh, he had gone bankrupt in Atlantic City on the giant casino. There were so many contractors who had their life savings put in the job that weren't being paid. I read about that. I empathized with them. Those same contractors were my, not literally, but my brother, the roofer, my brother, the window guy. Uh, all the guys in my hometown, they worked with their hands. All those guys were not being paid. And they couldn't take that kind of a hit. So for me, I, I was doing it for myself. If I hadn't won the lawsuit, I could have gone on a business. It was a good year. It wasn't going to make or break me. But I think I had all those people in my head, too, how unfair that situation is. And people can't always get away with stuff, is what I, how I felt morally about that. But I also wanted the money. Quite honestly. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That's a good reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've inspired millions of entrepreneurs. I want to know, when you're investing in entrepreneurs, what do you look for in them? And then what is your advice for them to succeed?
1: Well, one thing I've learned about entrepreneurs is you give all the advice in the world and they do exactly as they please. I don't mind that at all. I'll give best, my best practice advice by, <laughs> right from my heart and they'll really appreciate it, but my best entrepreneurs then do exactly as they please. They don't pay attention. So that I've learned. What is the most important thing I'm looking for? I'm on the hunt for every day I sit on that set. I'm looking for someone with ambition. There is no substitute for ambition. If you have a burning desire and have to get somewhere, have to get to be something, it's not a I really, really want it, but I have to. As so your life depends on it. That kind of a passion, not just I love my business passion, but that kind of a burning passion, to. Prove yourself is what I'm always looking for. I don't care much about what business it is. It's got to make common sense. You know, people will pay for the product or the service. That's all. But if I don't have that burn that I feel, I feel in my bones, I usually don't invest. And despite my best practices of trying to choose the absolute best entrepreneurs on Shark Tank, I don't always pick right. I'd say I'm 50% right. Uh, but even the ones that, whose businesses don't work will reinvent themselves to get to that finish line some other way. It's just that's the way they're wired. What
0: do you think is the one that got away on Shark Tank, the one you regret not investing in? Oh, there's dozens
1: of them. Um, but I forget about them. I remember in the early season when uh, we had uh, Lori's stupid sponge <laughs> that smiles at you, that yellow thing. I remember thinking, who the hell would want that stupid thing? Well, about eighty-eight million people wanted it within the year, <laughs> you know. Uh, so that's one that got away. But of course, I deserved to get away. I couldn't even see the light in the situation. But she's a great product salesman, and her hands was a right product, you know. But no, what happens is the minute a deal is done, deal's done. You just next, the next one comes through the door. And you're just always searching for the next thing. Well, what do we have here? I have never spent a minute on Shark Tank where I wasn't surprised. We know nothing about those entrepreneurs, not a thing. The door opens, we're sizing them up. What do they look like? What are they smiling about? Why aren't they making contact? Do they look the part? You know, all these thoughts are coming through your head as they stand there in front of you, and then they start to talk. Usually on the first three words, I'm out. Wow. Yeah, I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not going for it. <laughs> it's
0: it's just a gut feeling.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I also heard you say that you don't invest in rich kids.
1: I have a rich kid. I have two of them. <laughs> I don't invest in rich kids. And nothing's wrong with rich kids. Rich kids can have tremendous success. And it's not their fault they're rich. They were born rich. <laughs> and they have a lot of access. It's not, they go to the right schools. They have the right money. They always have funding from family and friends. It's not, not their fault. Wouldn't you ask too? I would. However, they've had the fancy vacation. They've had the nice car. They've had privilege in every which what way. They have privileged friends. And so half the excitement of building a success, I know for me was, imagine if one day I would have a beach house. Imagine a beach house. I had imagined it because I never knew what it seemed like. To a rich kid, it's like, I'd only go to Miami. I'd only be on such and such Boulevard. (laughs) I mean, somehow that, that flag flies half down on enthusiasm. And how do you blame anybody? I mean, because everything has come to them without needing to really work for it. And so give me a poor kid who's never had anything good, who's burning with desire to experience life differently than they had. And that's a great asset. It's extra fuel. It's like having an extra tank on your back.
0: How have you made sure as you were raising your kids that they didn't have that privilege that would prevent them from finding, having that ambition?
1: Well, once a kid... Uh, a privileged kid hits teenage years, you're out of control. What he's going to look for and what he wants to do is what his peers do. And chances of you're rich, here in a rich neighborhood and a rich school. That's over. But I think early on, you can make a huge difference in raising a child. I think you could allow them to fail. Mm. And rich parents don't. If they're not doing well in math, they hire them a tutor, a very good tutor. If they can't ace the SATs, they get tutoring for that. If they don't get enough shots up at bat, they complain to the coach. I think allowing a kid to fall on his head is very hard for a parent, especially a parent of means. Uh, and poor parents have no choice. They don't have the time to save. They don't have the money to rescue. And so I think as a rich parent, you can make a deliberate decision to let a kid fail so that they find out what they're made out of. The only thing we all learn in life in confidence is getting up or failure. You. you can't teach confidence any other way but seeing yourself recover from a falling. Yeah. And so letting them... That, in my book, that's what I did my whole life. I hope to God it worked, you know? But once your kids are teenagers, it's different. You're out of control.
0: How old are they now?
1: Uh, my son is 29, and my daughter is only 17.
0: Have you done a good job, do you feel?
1: Well, I had a lucky break, actually, with both of them. They were both born dyslexic, terrible students. And so that was the dragon. They had a sleigh like I did. And so they had, as kids... You know, a very difficult time measuring up to other kids. Your peers are everything when you're kids, right? And so they kind of had a very similar upbringing to me, albeit with more money behind them, but very similar. And And I think the curse of a learning disability is if you can get over it, you have gotten very good at failure. You grow up and go into your adult life knowing what failure is about. A lot of kids don't know failure until they lose their first job.
0: What still drives you? What What makes you excited to wake up every day and go to work?
1: I'm curious, uh, number one. So what's around the bend? I'm a nosy hole. And then the second thing is I love working with a team. Leave me by myself in any situation. I'm pretty bored. Nothing to bounce myself off a wall or anything. Uh, so I have a phenomenal team at work, and I can't wait to see them. They're like my kids, uh, not by age so much, but like, where are they going to? Where are they going to go next? What are they going to do next? You know, so I'm living vicariously through them on what they could accomplish. And that's very exciting. Building a team and building a business. I mean, it's a shame it's named business because people think of it as dollars and cents. It's not. It's all about people and having fun, seeing how far you can hit the ball, you know? Are you enjoying
0: doing TikTok or is that something your team
1: is just telling you to do? TikTok is my late-in-life thrill. (laughs) And it was my 14-year-old, the moment TikTok happened, said, you should be on TikTok, you're stupid enough to make a fool of yourself. And that's exactly right. You just have to just make a fool of yourself, you know? It's a little hard not wearing makeup at times. Believe you me, I look a lot better with makeup. You look good either way. Not so good. People like
0: relatable, though. I don't wear makeup on my TikToks for the most part of people
1: like that. They like seeing the actual human. But how do you like it? Don't you feel self-conscious?
0: I'm okay. I'm used to it. I feel like once you're on social media for a few years, you get Uh, thick skin. I've heard uh, pretty much everything bad I can hear about myself.
1: Oh, so you don't even
0: care anymore. (laughs) I do care about less and less each time.
1: (laughs) Really? Well, you seem to have a better way of doing a positive self-talk. I have a hard time with that. Like, holy shit, do I look bad? (laughs) (laughs) So I'm a little rough on myself physically, (laughs) you know. I don't compare myself to people my age. I compare myself to (laughs) 21-year-olds. Not a fair comparison.
0: No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Is there an end game with
0: TikTok? Is it just more reach? What do you care about when it comes to TikTok?
1: Well, do you know I make an awful lot of money on endorsement deals, speeches, consulting. Now you would think that TikTok would work against that. And I was a little if you're a clown, who's gonna hire you? I was a little worried in the beginning, but I'll talk to uh the other day I spoke to a woman at Citibank who had hired me for a series of things. And I said, I'm just curious. Why did you hire me? And she said, I love how you dance on TikTok. This is a woman. She probably looked on the call, maybe 50 years old. I love how you dance on TikTok. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's a great credential for speaking to all these bankers. <laughs> uh, so all these social platforms are all blended. It used to be that audience and so see that one. You like this. You like that. That's all blended. Uh, called notoriety. And if you can use. Comedy to get notoriety versus always being sober and and serious—it's just another roadway to get notoriety. So I see it as a big blend now. Yeah, yeah. I'm I know, not sure I'm right on that, but that's kind of how it feels to me.
0: I think you are, and I know you're all about diversification. So I know you still have all of this real estate, the real estate portfolio, yes. Shark Tank income, your investment portfolio. Where else are you making money besides now the sponsorships and affiliates?
1: Honestly. I don't have diversification. And contrary to a lot of people in finance, I just don't believe in it. Oh. Right? My entire life, I've had everything in the real estate space. Investments of my own, other people's investments, buying spur of the moment, real estate brokerage, line extensions, having to do with real estate. Everything's been real estate. But I'm not afraid of that. I mean, everybody's advised me against my whole life. but, But how I feel about it is I know that space I have a gut on that. I know what's a green light, what's a yellow cautionary light. So I trust myself on that. If I, uh, I have some money in stocks, I'm nervous all the time. Those stockbrokers don't know what to do. And the truth is, they, they're taking their best shots, you know. And so I trust me a lot more than I trust the other people. That I have income because of Shark Tank is a, is a result of having notoriety. But I still prefer to speak about real estate. It's what I know well. Mm. Well, I know something about entrepreneurs now. <laughs> it's, a second, it's a second crayon I could color with, you know.
0: If you stopped working today and did no more speaking engagements, what money would still be coming in?
1: Would oh, everything. it be the real estate? The real estate would always come in and grow in value. You know, real estate is a way to get very rich very slow. And I'm old enough to have gotten very rich with real estate. Would the shark tank income speeches, endorsements still come in? Probably for a while. Probably not for more than a few years, I'm aware of that. But I wouldn't be homeless. I'd still be able, well, I don't have a mortgage. I like to pay cash, but I wouldn't be homeless.
0: What would you tell a 20 year old who wants to become a millionaire? They ask you, Barbara, what's the fastest way to become a millionaire?
1: I'd say take the money out of the equation and focus on one thing only. Uh, Try to find something you do very, very well and then practice the hell out of it until you become very, very, very good at it. And then you don't have competition. You're going to be the top of your heap, whatever that heap is. And money automatically comes with being the top. Do you know, when I wanted to be the queen of New York real estate, I never once thought I wanted to make a lot of money. But it just happened automatically. The more I got closer to my goal, I made more and more and more and more money. Uh, That happens automatically. I don't invest in entrepreneurs on Shark Tank today. When I ask the exit strategy, they say, oh, I want to sell to a big company in five years like... What kind of a commitment is that? It's like saying, I'm going to marry this guy and maybe have one child before five years and get rid of him. (laughs) You know, it doesn't make sense. So I think committed to learning one thing. Well, that's all you need. I don't do a lot of things well. I know a few things. Do a few things real, real well. But the one thing I do better than anybody I've met, and I'm sure there are exceptions, but I haven't met them yet. I outtry anybody. I will try anything and try a hundred things to let one thing land. I don't care. There's no shame. I know something's going to hit if I'm out trying. I'm out trying and something's going to hit and it's going to be big. And it always does. You don't really know always what it is, but it does hit.
0: I know what the people are going to ask me
1: then to that is, when do you know you've
0: been trying too long? I mean, if you find that you, you want to try one thing and be very good at it, is five years too long? Is 10 years too long? Like, when is... When do you, should you get the hint that you're not good at it, maybe?
1: I think you should be in touch with your own attitude. It has nothing to do with timetable, right? I started a flower business when I was in college. I was in business nine months when I realized this is not for me. I love flowers, but I wasn't going to make any money, and the most of them were dead on arrival, which isn't a good sign <laughs> in the flower business. No, I think when you wake up in the morning and think, I don't want to go in, you're in the wrong field. Anytime. And if you keep thinking, uh, 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 that's your barometer, low, uh, you should move on to something else. It's harder to quit, I believe, than succeed when you vested yourself in something for a number of years actually say I failed. I'm going to tell everybody I quit and I'm quitting this thing. That's a harder thing to do. We see people on Shark Tank mortgage a house, their kids' education, borrow money from their family and friends, and hock up to the ears and put it all in this one business they believe in, those businesses are always the worst businesses. Like, what were they drinking? You know? <laughs> yeah. No, I think you watch your enthusiasm. I mean, everybody has bad days, bad week. If it goes more than a week. It's a sign to move on. Mm. You know what? How wonderful it is that you can move in and start all over again. There's no shame in that. It's a new beginning. While you're young, well, you don't have the mortgage and the kids.
0: Yeah. We have a little closing tradition. So, the pod- champagne? No, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> the podcast is called Erica taught me, but really today is all about Barbara taught me. So, what do you want people to walk away from this episode being able to say Barbara taught me this?
1: I'd say you're a lot stronger than you think you are. Forget about the bad stuff about yourself and focus on the good stuff. Everybody's got a gift. I threw a few things in, right?
0: <laughs> Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Barbara. If you did, please leave a review of the podcast wherever you're listening. We really appreciate the support. Thank you for taking the time to hang out with me today, and I'll talk to you next Tuesday on a brand new episode of Erica Taught Me.